Hello, everyone. Thank you for attending our session today. It's really great to be here representing CenturyLink and uh, speaking to you all about some things that we think are important to the operation of the cloud and, and applications based in the cloud. I want to thank AWS for partnering with us, too, for uh, I think this is the fifth year now that we've been uh, running a lot of the telecommunications for this show and been a great uh, partner with AWS ever since uh, they, got, they got kicked off with uh, uh, their, uh, new, their new uh, cloud services. So uh, I'll be speaking to you today. I'm Paul Seville. I'm our Senior Vice President of Product Management at CenturyLink, and I'll introduce Dave. Hi, everybody. I'm Dave Chikotis. Uh I run product management for our IT solutions here. I work, work on Paul's team. And, uh, and while Paul's going to be talking to you a lot about what we're doing to invest in cloud control and cloud infrastructure in and around the AWS cloud, I'm going to be talking a little bit about what we're doing uh, within some of our IT solutions and managed services around how we're adapting those and evolving those to, to control some of those workloads in the cloud and adapt to the changing conditions that are on the network. Great. Right. Thanks. So I'm going to start off just by saying I know what you all are thinking. When you see me standing up here, you're thinking, what is this 20-year-old kid doing up here acting like he's an executive from CenturyLink? But the truth is that I'm actually old. I'm very ancient, actually. Actually, when I started in the business, uh, we didn't even know what the internet was. We never even heard of the internet. When I was um, in engineering school, uh, I don't know if some of you were in the same boat as me, but I remember that we used to uh, program our, our uh, mainframe computer by pushing cards into it uh, to, with, with our program put, built into the cards based on punch holes. Any, anybody in the room here actually old that old as me that you did that when you were, all right, we'll see. There's about uh, 1% of us, so I'm sorry guys, you're in the same boat, boat with me. But, but being old does have one advantage, and that is that over time, you get to see things. You get to see how things evolve and change. And uh, you know, I am actually old enough to have seen this uh, migration in the technology areas that we work in, moving from a centralized nature to a distributed nature. You know, back in the days when when uh, me and uh, the one percenters that are also in this uh, room with me got started, everything was built around the mainframe. And as time moved on, we saw that whole movement flip to, from a centralized uh, uh, architecture to a very distributed architecture with a client-server model. The client-server model enabled new uh, capabilities around and, it brought, and combined with the internet really uh, enabled new capabilities where, where uh, laptops and PCs and, and um, uh, e-commerce was, uh, applications like e-commerce was much more easily deployed over, the, over that type of an architecture. And then all of us here in this room are now involved in that, that move toward cloud. And, and much of that move is happening now and it has shifted back with cloud combined with uh, the, the types of networking access have combined back to a new a centralized model again. But we, we would say, then I think that you all are also seeing that that shift, that, that pendulum is again swinging back to a distributed model. And, but the question is, you know, how far is that swing going to be? And we put up here a quote by Bob Gill. I don't know if any of you have ever met Bob from, from Gartner, but, but we totally agree with his perspective on this, that really that, uh, that what's happening now is that applications that are hosted out of the cloud, that are run out of the cloud, are uh, going to start breaking up and that we're really going to find that the pendulum stops swinging so dramatically between centralized and decentralized models back to one that's more somewhere in the middle where it's, where it's really distributed across the whole spectrum. Where 
large monolithic applications get busted up into microservices and hosted at different points in the, in the network, in the, the geography, in the topography of a total solution that, that, customers, that, that we need to provide for customers for uh, cloud-based applications. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever seen a slide like this, but most, uh, you know, I've, I've seen about 12 different versions of this slide, I think, and so I just picked out of a few of the things that, um, that I like the most in terms of some of the applications that we're seeing and how performance of the network in combination with the amount of bandwidth consumed by applications, how those two are relating and how that's evolving. And uh, one of the things that we're seeing, we're actually starting to see this now in some of the customer applications that we're dealing with, is that some applications are perfectly fine to host and run out of a uh, centralized cloud location that may be you know, in one part of the world and it can serve very, very large geographies. But other applications uh, that are evolving here require much tighter tolerances that, that are capable from that type of, uh, of place to host that application. So things like uh, retail robotics and real-time video analytics, where the response time from the edge location where that information is picked up and pushed to the application that needs to process it, and then the response that has to go back to that edge device has to be such a short amount of time that it can't be hosted centrally out of the cloud. And so we're seeing this evolve. We're seeing this evolve where different applications need to sit at different places from the core through the edge in terms of achieving the kind of performance that, that is needed to, uh, to actually deliver it on, on a, uh, a basis that, that will actually help it to perform to the spec. Now, you look at this and you go, okay, well, gee, 10 milliseconds, 10 millisecond round trip delay, that's kind of outrageous. Uh, but I'm telling you, we're actually seeing this. I was with a, a uh, large retailer who was looking at a retail robotics application trying to deploy it in their stores. And they're trying to host it centrally out of a cloud location, uh, but whenever they put it out of that cloud location, the stores that were farther away from it physically, from the geo geographic standpoint, the latency response time from that application that was driving that, those uh, retail robotics uh, to those store locations and back was such a long period of time in terms of latency. And I mean, when I say long period, I'm talking, you know, 50 milliseconds, 50 to 100 milliseconds, that that point that that application basically broke for them. And so they were looking at network configurations that tried to tie the stores together in a way that they would pick centralized stores to put the, put the whole hardware software stack and run that application and serve stores that were geographically close to it so they could get to within the latency tolerances that they needed for that application to work and support all of those, all of those locations. Situations like that, I think, and what a lot of industry analysts are saying, are continuing to evolve and are gonna become more and more pertinent to us. And that's why uh, CenturyLink is working with AWS on different models for dealing with these scenarios, on helping with that uh, uh, distributed nature of, of a cloud solution that can support a whole range of applications, even very high, highly demanding applications that require high performance networking that is associated with them. So a little bit about our, our network, and then I'm gonna hand it over to, to Dave just to explain why this is important. So uh, for the CenturyLink network now, uh, one of the things that, that, that we have found is that fiber connectivity for many of these applications is extremely important. And in a world where we're moving, 5G is rolling out, 
even 5G with the kind of speeds that it, that it uh, uh, drives and the capabilities it drives, uh, fiber to many of these locations, given its infinite scalability, is really desirable in helping with the performance and drive the, be able to handle some of the capacities that are needed. You know, when you're talking about feeding, suppose, say, an application that's, again, using, a, using retail uh, video analytics, for, for example, uh, as an example, when you're talking about taking uh, video feeds from, you know, maybe even in large stores could be 20, 30, 40 different video feeds, pushing that up to the cloud to do real-time analytics and provide store managers and store personnel information using AI-based uh, technology to give them real information about what's happening in their store, uh, that is a whole lot of bandwidth that just even comes from a retail store. It's possible, though, with, with fiber connectivity to these locations. So from a networking standpoint, with, with fiber into 2,200 data centers and 130,000 enterprise locations across the, the world, we're, we're positioning and we're, we're working with cloud service providers to uh, give them that kind of a bandwidth reach that they need. The, in terms of software connections, uh, globally connected and dynamic connectivity to, uh, to these end locations is becoming a reality as well. And when I say that, some of you have heard about software-defined networking and SDN technology that enables uh, companies to actually turn up and down bandwidth on the fly to meet needs for uh, rapidly changing situations. That, that kind of a, of, of a scalability on demand within, set, within minutes, uh, even seconds sometimes, to react to the situation on the ground is uh, really important. And when you combine it with uh, the, the capabilities of, of applications that can, can harvest the power of the cloud, like uh, AI and machine learning, you combine those two resources together, then that really creates, is going to create some new interesting opportunities for developers to do new things, things that we've never been able to achieve before. Connectivity with AWS in, in a, on a global basis is uh, another key part of what we do. So I think today we reach about 22, uh, we direct connect into around 22 of AWS's global data centers. And we're, we're, uh, we think that's important because uh, because of globalization, because as enterprises want to move more and more and distribute their, take advantage of the whole world as a marketplace, then they want to have that total reach. But when they get that kind of a reach uh, to, to deploy their services around the world, they want to do it in a ubiquitous fashion. They want to do it in a way that's homogenous, that it's not a, some kind of a different configuration, different setup for every part of the world that they want to operate in. So providing that, that consistent global solution and reach that combines cloud and network is an important part of this evolving strategy. Around the network services side, another important part of how the whole cloud ecosystem is evolving and how network plays a role in that is around optimization of internet performance. And these applications are often uh, run and accessed through the public internet. The problem with the public internet, I like to say, is the tubes. A lot of people, I don't know if there, how many uh, internet engineers or people with internet engineering background here, but, but those of you that do know that while the, the internet is, is very ubiquitous across the world, it, the, the underlying connectivity between the sources of access in the internet and how it gets from one point to the cloud is not, uh, is not optimized uh, at all, basically. It runs through, could run through a whole series of networks. And 
they hand it off many times between different network service providers. And that is actually can, can drive down performance of your, of your applications that are hosted out of the cloud. You know, I had this one, to give you an example, I had this one, um, uh, we had this one customer, he actually wasn't even a customer of, of CenturyLinks, he was, he was a customer of another telecom carrier, and he managed to get an email into uh, one of our, our senior execs and said that, that this person was based in Los Angeles, was buying inter their internet service from another service provider. They were getting their, uh, they were hosting their application out of a cloud service provider, and it just wasn't working because the performance was, was, of the network was so bad. So that person ran a tracer out through the network and found that it went from their uh, service provider to CenturyLink before it accessed the, their, the cloud service provider where he was hosting his application. So he's saying, well, when I call my, my, my internet service provider, they say, well, call CenturyLink because you know, that if you've got a network issue, we're, going, we're routing you through CenturyLink. And so when, when we actually looked at this, we realized that he was coming on physically, he was coming on board in uh, Los Angeles. That carrier was routing him uh, his, his, all of his traffic to Atlanta, where they handed it off to CenturyLink, and CenturyLink was routing his traffic up to the AWS cloud uh, that was based up in uh, Seattle, okay? So this guy's jumping across the country and back again with his data stream, and he's not even a customer of ours, but, he, but he's calling us to ask us, you know, what, why do we have to do it, route it this way, okay? So, um, you know, the, the, important, the reason I tell you that story is that it's the, the actual configuration of the network the configuration of the internet, how your applications that are running in the cloud are routing their data through the public internet is in some situations really important to the performance and success of those applications and how they, how they do. And as, and as a leading uh, provider of internet services in the world, uh, one of the largest uh, content delivery networks in the world, we have a lot of experience around optimizing IP at the edge and helping these applications work in the cloud. And then this last piece, before I hand it off to Dave, is, is application control. Having that global footprint, having the ability to, to reach the enterprise location and provide that connectivity from one end of the world up to the cloud service provider and, and own that path, own those, the, the physical infrastructure that's underlying how those data bits are running through the network to reach the cloud allows us to have great performance uh, control over the service end-to-end -end, uh, across the globe and, and down to the millisecond and packet level of visibility. And so with that, we've, we think we actually have some, uh, some uh, ways to explain this to you in a little bit better way, and so I'm gonna hand it off to Dave. Yep. Thanks, Paul. Mm -hmm. So great, so while we've done all this investment and while we're certainly looking at managing and running the CenturyLink global network as an avenue for workloads to reach AWS, what we're also doing is talking to a lot of our customers around how they're changing their software architecture, how they're changing the way they work with uh, their software and their business applications and what some of the new possibilities are. And there's three big trends that we're, that we're really seeing inside of the enterprise architecture groups within a lot of the enterprises that we're working with. First off, uh, organizations and business applications are, as many of you know, becoming a lot more uh, event-driven. Um, organizations are graduating away from uh, being very uh, sequential and, and, and procedural and, and workflow-driven and becoming a whole lot more event-driven in the way that they design business applications, the way that they integrate between data sources. Event architectures uh, are becoming uh, m much more prevalent uh, throughout the enterprise, uh, the, the enterprise architecture. 
And what these business events tend to do is they put a lot of stress, they can put a lot of stress on the network because a business event is only relevant for a given period of time. Uh, and there are certainly ways to, within software and within software architecture, compensate for that and you know, eventually catch up to a, a business event and, and correlating it to a value or a corresponding trigger. Uh, but a lot of those business events uh, dry up and, and they have a, a time-based or a time-bound uh, source of value. So managing and being able to take event-driven architectures and manage them across a network is something that we're starting to see our customers ask us a lot about, about how the network can be used to solve some of those problems. Uh, we're also seeing uh, is many new access patterns uh, around data and workloads and applications. Uh, you know, being able to take an application or a workload and really drive the business logic, whether it's around the event stream or whether it is around a more traditional workflow application, driving those business logic triggers out closer to the data, out closer to the sources of edge control where having that trigger take effect is going to be a lot more meaningful. So access to data, moving data out closer to uh, individual devices and sensors and moving workloads out closer to the edge of the network is something that we're seeing uh, that our, a data pattern that we're seeing and an application pattern we're seeing throughout our network and our customers are talking to us around how they can take advantage there. And then the final area is just these, this whole new range of execution venues. Beyond just traditional cloud architectures, a lot of the applications that are being designed and either being driven out closer to the edge or event architectures that are being designed and scaled across a broad geographic footprint, they're taking place in the cloud, they're, getting, they're built inside the cloud, and they're being built on higher levels of abstraction. Right? We're going to hear all about this week or a lot of the new higher levels of abstraction that AWS has been driving into their cloud. And so data services and queuing services and, and higher level event service, services and serverless architectures are starting to become the mode in which new software development is getting invested and new software development is getting catalyzed. And so these new execution venues and these higher levels of abstraction are starting to occur. And when these workloads are designed there, they want those same higher levels of abstraction, whether it's a containerized architecture or a serverless architecture, to be, exist throughout the core of their network. It's fine to think about an application that they want to move out closer to the edge. It's fine to think about a source of data that they want to be able to integrate into an application. But it needs to work the same way across the, the core of the cloud as it does throughout the middle of the network and out to the edge of the network. So that consistency uh, is becoming something that's really important. And so we're starting to see a, a lot of these uh, examples and wanted to illustrate a couple of these examples and then give you a little bit of a demonstration around what we're doing with some of our product set and how we're combining together this idea of network control and workload awareness and workload orchestration across the hybrid cloud. So there's a whole new range of these possibilities, especially out at the device edge. Right, you know, here, here's a scenario where you can see a, 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 a charging station for an electric car. Right, it's in a metro area, uh, but th this is pretty emblematic of a lot of the different device interface networks. Right, you know, the, this fleet management problem that we're seeing become pretty prevalent when we're taking a look at a global network, a distributed workload, and the need to be able to run business logic out close to the edge of the network for it to have a difference. And so what that means is the need to continually push code down uh, towards these runtime environments out at the cloud edge, uh, push that business logic across a hybrid network out closer to a lot of devices that are going to be facing a range of different connectivity options. Sometimes it is going to be feasible to run a fiber to a pedestal like a charging station. A lot of times that charging station is going to be operating over some sort of wireless or cellular or Wi-Fi network. So being able to work across a hybrid network is going to be vital for a lot of these business problems, but then also reacting to local conditions. 
right? So the right cloud uh, with regards to workloads like this and a fleet management problem means really enabling applications and orchestrations to be able to run on some of these mini clouds and smaller uh, hardened form factors. It's also going to mean the ability to move data sets a whole lot closer to these workloads and these execution venues. The right network really means being responsive enough to, to change to, to, to local conditions. Right? Here's, a, here's a charging station that's now blocked off because of construction. Right? Does it know that? Does it know that because of sensors that are baked into the charging station? Does it know that the charging station is being used or that it's not being used or it's not being used for a reason? So there's a lot of different event architectures that can be strung together in business logic that can compensate for that, but the network needs to be responsive enough to know uh, whether there's an availability issue uh, with being able to reach that remote sensor, whether there's an availability issue with regards to being able to push code down to that environment to change the business logic in response to local conditions. And then the, the, the right network also means being resilient enough to be able to maintain connectivity to some of these production devices. And the right experts and the right expertise it takes to design these solutions together really means a network architecture and a consulting and a design function whereby you're not just looking at speeds and feeds and designing a network that goes and drives connectivity to a single venue, but you're designing an architecture that can look to all the different sources of remote connectivity and how the workloads that are going to impact that remote connectivity can be deployed. Now, if it looks like these are all sort of, uh, of, of a similar palette, that's because they are. Um, you can actually come to CenturyLink's booth um, down on the expo floor over the next couple of days. There's actually a whole VR environment that takes these. These are just a couple of snippets from that environment. But you can put on the VR goggles and you can actually walk around inside this world and take a look at some of these other use cases beyond the ones that I'm highlighting here. So you, you can take a look at some of the edge, the, sort of this network and cloud convergence zone uh, that Paul was highlighting there on the second slide and really look at some of how these workloads piece together. Now here's another example, and this is one we face a lot. It's a little bit more traditional where we're looking at a, a little bit more of a traditional enterprise business location like this coffee shop in a mixed-use facility. Right? This is where business workloads and business applications are being pushed down, whether it's to monitor uh, you know, internal store transactions or you know, inventory uh, control, like the example Paul was talking about there, uh, across a major retail location. Um, but one of the more important pieces of business logic that tends to happen out here at the edge is the data minimization function. Right? You, can, this, you can collect everything. You can collect everything and send everything back to the public cloud, but should you? In most cases, the answer is no, right? In most cases, what you want to be able to do is collect the data and only send back for long-term archival and long-term analysis what you really need, right? You don't want to be sending a whole lot of errata from every single device or every single sensor that's inside the facility. So pushing business logic out that can go and update and drive that data minimization function is important. And so the right cloud really means enabling this hybrid cloud application where it either needs to be able to run on a workload inside the store boundary or inside a specific geographic boundary or within a particular latency zone. But it also means pushing as many of the corresponding workloads up to the public cloud like AWS uh, for longer term analysis and longer term development and testing of business logic that will run inside these environments. The right network means a, a more traditional hybrid connectivity where uh, locally sourced broadband and locally sourced fiber links are going to combine together uh, to be able to give access back to those computing centers. But it also means forms of digital connectivity that can be spun up on demand. And you know, a lot of what Paul talked about with regards to our software control about being able to take a brand new store and dynamically create a high speed ethernet connection back to AWS into one of the different peering centers 
with AWS is really important, especially in these retail kind of use cases. And the right expertise is really around taking a managed services approach uh, to piece the entire network together, uh, and including broadband aggregation and being able to run uh, in some of these distributed uh, locational environments, being able to run, run the project management function, bring the devices on net, and also design what are going to be the critical uh, workload execution functions that, are, that this particular location is going to rely on. It also means taking into effect some of the location-based analytics and taking a look at who's using that particular network inside that store and how we can generate new sources of business logic in terms of people who are using your local Wi-Fi, um, individual custom offers that you can drive into that retail location and things like that. Those all have a time-based uh, dynamic to them. And the final piece here, uh, and this is uh, you know, represented a little, bit off the, a little bit outside of our VR environment, but it's to illustrate this idea of these new possibilities in edge computing, especially in metro areas and deep edge locations where we're starting to see the need for emerging computing locations and, and workload execution venues running inside the core of the network satisfying some of these low latency, high bandwidth application requirements, uh, whereby today you're starting to see this uh, in, in terms of caching architectures, uh, network function and application function service value adds running inside the core of the network. But what we see happening long term and what the right cloud needs over time is enabling hybrid cloud to be able to take cloud spanning applications that run a combination of workloads across the global cloud core all the way through the network out to the global cloud edge with that layer of consistency for not only running the workload, but running the workload with the data and the service abstractions that are developed around that workload inside the global cloud core and maintaining that consistency out to the edge. The right network means being able to take this type of computing and syncing it up with the, 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 being able to drive and drive a series of choices uh, for the application architect to think about the data center differently and to start to think about the network as a data center. You know, the network is the data center starts to become the mindset that we have a lot of our professional services and, and the CenturyLink managed services architects starting to think about. And so that's where that expertise really comes in. So with, you, can, you can feel free to come by the booth and explore a lot more of these workloads. Uh, but what we thought we would do here is, is move into a little bit of demo mode and show you how those workloads uh, and how some of the value-added services that we're building around our network uh, can help you highlight that. So we have a really simple uh, example uh, workload or an example uh, scenario that we're going to drop in. Um, and it really highlights this idea. So what we have is a business workload. It's just going to be a really simple uh, you know, product intranet uh, type of collaboration application. Really super simple. Uh, but we're going to be uh, comparing uh, that application performance, and we're going to be generating workload. We're going to be generating load on that application from uh, an environment that has a specific distance latency and a, and a, and a distance characteristic. So 2,000 miles away, we have uh, an audience for this particular workload. We're going to, it's an audience of workers that we're going to simulate up in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle. We're going to deploy that workload to AWS US East 2, uh, and we're going to deploy it in a couple of different network configurations. So we're deploying that workload, and we're orchestrating it, and we're also controlling how the network reaches that workload in a couple of different scenarios. And so there's one path that it's going to follow, which is just going to bounce around the internet at best effort. Right? It's going to move through the internet, obviously a very high throughput, high transaction, very resilient type of network. Um, but it's going to make its way through that network, and it's going to land up in the US East 2. But we're also going to be using CenturyLink's Cloud Connect Ethernet network to design an express path, right? A, a straight shot through from the office out to US East 2 to really streamline that connectivity. What we're going to do 
as sort of the measuring stick and sort of the tail of the tape between those is we're going to simulate uh, the CenturyLink managed services and some of our, uh, our network architecture consulting teams who would come in and help a customer make a workload decision based on how we're deploying the workload to the public side, how we're deploying it across the private side, making sure it's an apples to apples comparison so we can start isolating what the differences are between the way that workload works under one network condition versus the way that it works under a different network condition. So a really simple uh, type of exercise. So first we're going to show you how we do it, and then we're going to show you a little bit about what the tail of the tape looks like in between these two scenarios that we have up and running. So we'll do a quick prayer to the demo gods, and we will switch over to the CenturyLink, uh, the CenturyLink Cloud Application Manager environment. So we have a service we call Cloud Application Manager. Um, this is a service that is CenturyLink's view around how to take the, the, the breadth of our network, uh, be able to add value-added services on top of it, uh, and really help uh, drive collaboration between the three spheres of influence inside of enterprise IT, which is fundamentally IT finance, the development community, and then the operations group within those organizations. And so uh, we'll start off and, and take a, look, a little, little bit of a look about how uh, Cloud Application Manager can be used to help the IT finance organization. So all customers of CenturyLink Cloud Application Manager can be uh, organized as, I can blow it up here a little bit, uh, as organizations, that's sort of a, a, you know, our, tax, our, our nomenclature for a company, a cost center, which is an internal nomenclature for how you're going to be organizing and managing costs and then an individual workspace. A workspace is an area in which a development group, uh, a, an application owner, a, a product team is going to be working on a particular project or, or, or an environment. Um, an admin of a particular organization can go in uh, and they can really have a, a deep level of control about how they drive. It's obviously designed to work across the hybrid cloud, but for organizations that have gone all in on AWS, that's really easy to set up and enforce by policy. Um, you, can, you can roll through in, in, in this particular organization. Uh, this is called Parts Unlimited. Everybody read the Phoenix Project, the old uh, Phoenix Project, Agile uh, DevOps book? Yep. Uh, so you know, we're, we're simulating that, uh, th that particular company. When they've decided to go all in on AWS, um, and they're going on down, they can decide uh, of the myriad different downstream cloud platforms that Cloud Application Manager can interact with, they can just check off all the ones that aren't really rated as worthwhile of their enterprise architecture de deployment patterns. Right? So they can uncheck all, all the other clouds and basically keep it to their private you know, in-house data center as well as AWS. So that's all completely configurable. Once they have that up and running, they can then run a series of reports to understand per cost center, per cloud provider, per environment, how they are taking advantage of that. There's a whole bunch of deep analytics that IT finance can take advantage of. Once the IT finance organization has set up the organization and, and organized things into cost centers and workspaces and they're helping to administer and drive and run uh, the innovation pipeline for the organization, the development group can use Cloud Application Manager as a really lightweight development and deployment tool. Right? So it's a lightweight envelope you can use for a range of different uh, in configuration management and application deployment constructs, and it basically has three primitives. The provider, the box, and the instance. A provider is basically a downstream deployment environment like AWS US East 2 or AWS US East 1 or any one of the AWS deployment zones, but a private cloud or a local data center could also be a, a, a provider. A box is just an application model. It's a model of a known good state. An instance is a combination of the prior two. So a box deployed to a provider becomes an instance. And so those instances can be uh, set up and deployed. Uh, new providers can be set up and deployed here. As you can see in this particular example, we could go start up and try to create a new provider. And all that's available to us is AWS and some of the in-house VMware-based private clouds uh, that this environment has available to it. Um, the boxes can be set up and deployed. In this particular case, we have a, a product intranet box. 
which we have that is demo deployable. We've, we're going to go and take one of these and we're going to create a new instance of that box. And we're going to take it, we're going to search it on down and find the product intranet box. We're going to deploy that product intranet box to a deployment policy in US East 2, uh, which we call our AWS production secondary. And we can go and kick that off and deploy it. We can put an expiration date on that box so that uh, Cloud Application Manager will automatically go in and harvest it. So this going out, it's reserving resources, it's designing that box deployment model, and it's getting ready to, to kick it off. Um, we've already got that done, and we have a number of those instances already up and running. Um, so we have a few already there. We have a, a private route and a public route for the product intranet in true cooking, cooking show fashion, where we already have a couple of those set up and running. Well, those two that are now set up and running, what we can also do is turn this workload over to operations and have our operations team also keep an eye on it, uh, integrating through Cloud Application Manager and a lot of their in-house tool set. So it integrates with uh, the CMDB for ServiceNow, uh, it, or it can be fully managed and run by CenturyLink's in-house uh, managed services organization. And so we integrate it in with our BMC-based event management system. But customers can also take uh, advantage of some of the tools we've built around this. Again, it's an MSP certified offering, meaning that we've gone and done some of the next generation management and predictive analytics around operational workflows. Uh, this is the, in particular the US East instance that's already been deployed. And we can get in there and take a look at some of the different metrics and do uh, and edit some of the forecasting. So we can look for and design forecasting uh, algorithms and say, let us know based on the previous 12 hours what the next 12 hours is going to look like. We can start doing some anomaly detection in terms of some of the core monitoring and metrics. And these can either be responded to by CenturyLink in a managed services perspective, or they can be responded to uh, by an environment uh, that the customer manages on their own. So the final piece uh, that we want to dig into here is, uh, we're going to have to jump into it because uh, it timed out on me. Uh, we can jump into the network control uh, environment. So we can go in and within that workspace, we can say now that we have those workloads created, we can go and create a layer three multipoint exchange whereby we're designing that private network link. So this is uh, the, the demo that we have for uh, our, our Cloud Connect environment. Well, we'll zoom in here a little bit. We can see that we've created a multi-point layer three connection between three different environments. We have one where we're running our private cloud, where sort of the in-house back office data center environment. Uh, we have an environment that is the Seattle office. And then we also have an environment that is AWS US East 2. And that's where these two production workloads are going to be deployed to. We have one uh, of, of those environments that's set up. And that will be the path by which we go and take the Seattle office and generate that private network connectivity, which we can see uh, on the global map uh, is uh, the connectivity that we've designed with this Cloud Connect interconnectivity. So we've gone and deployed our workloads. We've got them both running up in US East 2 in, a, in basically the same tenancy. We've gone and designed and optimized the network path to be able to reach uh, one of those instances. And now we need to take a look at the tail of the tape. So you know, what happened and what's the difference? And this is really where our managed services and our consulting team would come in. So what we have here is this is just a remote desktop into the Seattle environment. So we're actually sitting there simulating what would be the desktop in Seattle that's going in and working with those workloads. And again, a really simple workload. It's a simple WordPress site, and we're hitting this every few minutes, and we're reloading it. This, in particular, uh, screen that's refreshing right now is the workload that's sitting there over the private network path. 
So what our managed services and our consulting team would typically do is go in and deploy the uh, Dynatrace as a partner. Uh, they're exhibiting here at AWS. They're a great partner of our managed services and our consulting groups to be able to really take in. And, and what they're really great at doing is drilling down individual transactions into their component pieces. How long is an application transaction waiting on network or an aggregate, uh, aggregation of network-related time? And network isn't just pure bandwidth. It isn't just pure uh, you know, router-to-router -router latency, uh, you know, DNS lookups and redirects and, and all sorts of network wait time contribute to application perceived outcomes that are attributable to network. They can go and then break that down into a number of different components to really create what is an ongoing metrics-based view of what average wait time and average user experience is looking like. And so what we have here are a couple of tabs. We have a tab that's representing, uh, this is the, uh, the application uh, running to uh, over the private path. Uh, we have another tab open inside Dynatrace looking at the last two hours of that application that's gone over to the public path. And so what jumps out at you when you hover over it here on the public path, um, a little, maybe a little hard to see, but the, the, the final number in that pop-up box shows that the network consumption time averaging out just north of 200 milliseconds. So again, that's not just pure latency, right? It doesn't take 200 milliseconds of round trip to go from Seattle uh, to US East 2 and back, but all of the applications that are attributable to network, including latency, uh, add up to about just north of 200 milliseconds. And the overall average time, the average load time for that application the, for the user action duration, or what seems like a visually complete, is just north of 700 milliseconds. So the visual, visually complete time is just north of 700. Attributable to network within that is just around 200 milliseconds. When we're going over the private path, and this is going to a workload that is uh, running over that private direct Ethernet connection between Seattle and US East 2, what we're seeing is a, a, a much more compressed uh, set of contributing factors. And so if you look at the last number there in the pop-up metric, it's right around 50 to 60 milliseconds, just north of 60 milliseconds on average that we see attributable to network time inside of that workflow. Uh, the overall visually complete metric is hovering just around 140, 135, 145 or so uh, milliseconds of, of visually complete time. So Dynatrace helps us do that. Dynatrace helps us take a series of application transactions, break them down into their component parts and measure them out, and then helps us make, start to make decisions. This one might be a pretty obvious one, but in all these scenarios, two things are true. One, uh, there's a lot of contributing factors to what makes good application performance. It's not just network. There's a lot of things that factor into it in terms of application configuration, um, you know, how the network routes, what services are being relied upon over network, as, as a lot of us who work in the application development space know and understand. But having this level of visibility and being able to couple together workload orchestration with control over the network gives you so many more options. Right? From here, we can start working with our customers to make a number of different options. Maybe it's just as simple as driving this workload over a private network path because while these uh, visually uh, these aren't that significant, we're talking about a few hundred milliseconds, they add up, especially when those workloads uh, and those transactions are really starting to pile up over time. So it's a huge uh, benefit when these things are done at scale, and our application architecture teams and our managed services group work with customers to help make those decisions. And then increasingly, we can start to take a look at the overall design of the network and the overall design of where workloads ought to run, which particular geography and which particular availability zone those environments need to run in, and how we're going to design a network to connect those together, and then decide what level of management, ongoing orchestration, ongoing reporting we can help that customer with to drive some consistent governance so that as new innovation initiatives kick off, they're falling into the same network deployment patterns, they're falling into the same security and governance deployment patterns, and they're being architected and deployed and modeled in a consistent way. So we can click on back 
out of the demo and then uh, sort of wrap up. So yeah, with that, in, in conclusion, I think we saw you know, the, the difference between uh, running this over the private network link versus uh, over the public internet. And that's really what uh, CenturyLink uh, and, and really what our partnership with AWS is all about, is making sure that we're driving those, the right connections to customer enterprise networks and how those networks will evolve over time. Uh, we're driving connections to the different parts of AWS and how AWS is evolving over time with new availability zones and new features and new deployment models within the AWS cloud. Uh, and then we're also thinking about new connections to a new way of managed services that is inclusive of both managing the workload, deploying and monitoring and operating that environment, but driving collaboration between IT finance, the development organization and the operations organization while also including in uh, the orchestration and control over network connectivity as a critical part of that triad and a part of those three spheres of influence inside of enterprise IT. And that's really what we think about when we talk about redefining connectivity. So we're, de uh, we're deploying, uh, you can come on by uh, the CenturyLink booth, uh, take a look at what some of those other next generation customer success stories and scenarios that are going on inside of the, the VR environment that we have inside the booth. Uh, we'd love to answer any questions you have there, but uh, until then, uh, we'd be happy to take any questions that you guys have around what CenturyLink is working on uh, and how we're helping customers inside the AWS cloud. Question in the back. Yeah, it, the, the, what you're touching on there uh, is really something that is uh, one, of the, one of the soft problems inside of IT leadership today, right, which is, the, is driving collaboration between teams. Um, you know, you, you, can, you can lay it out there and, and sort of dictate a tool strategy, uh, but then that starts to constrain and starts to restrict uh, what your teams are able to do. And so what, we're really, what we really do with our approach is, is strive for a very lightweight model that allows the customers to still use the underpinning platforms for what they're, for what they're designed to be used for. You don't wanna constrain organizations and constrain developers and, and, and creatives uh, for being able to design workloads and solve business problems with the, the maximally official, uh, efficient tools that are available to them, but you do wanna keep a high level of governance and orchestration across things. So are they connected to the right network or are they just routing things over the internet? Are they tunneling things with inconsistent credentials? Are they uh, you know, connecting things and deploying application patterns and deploying software patches in an inconsistent way? So we really think the answer there is to give a high, de high degrees of freedom, but with enough of a, a governing scaffold uh, to be able to drive some consistency and let the teams move as fast as they can. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of moving pieces there and that's why we really focus on network, IT finance, and then de the development and operations groups. Yeah, and I would add, I would add to that, David, that the that you know one of the things that we are saying and that we are seeing when we're working with the cloud service providers is that the the tie to you you can't just be thinking about I'm going to run an application and uh, wherever that application needs to be supported, whatever locations need to be supported, uh, it's just going to work over the over the existing network infrastructure over the public internet. The the cloud service providers know that. And, they're, and that's why they're actually working with us really closely to try to optimize 
all types of network connectivity from enterprise locations back to their uh, cloud, where their, where their major cloud uh, data centers are. You know, the public internet itself, uh, working with them on uh, creating optimized uh, IP routes that uh, put them on kind of a faster track with, um, uh, t uh, so that they don't have to go through as many hops in the network to, to achieve that performance that, that they need uh, there. Uh, from layer two connectivity that, that maps a, a dedicated customer circuit from that location through the, the fastest path possible through the, through the network with as few hops as possible to get into directly to where that, that cloud data center is at. And the, the multiple ways that we could bring in network into the cloud uh, service provider data centers is really uh, all part of that solution that that as a as an industry we've got a we've got a lot still a lot more mature maturing to go to before we reach the point where where uh, applications uh, can reside pretty much uh, anywhere without having to worry about where the network is some applications are totally cool with really long latency performance times or some ran, you know random packet loss on the network it doesn't cause them problems but other ones uh, when you're when you're needing to work with uh, create high performance applications, that's where you got to start thinking about all those parts together, and that uh, underpinning infrastructure is is a complicated part of that solution. Okay, I don't see any other hands up, so uh, happy to stay up here and uh, chat with anybody who wants to come on up afterwards. Thanks for your time, and I hope everybody has a great reinvent. <laughs>